0: Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. And especially to the newcomers, but to all of you, this is my story. It is not... um, representative necessarily of everybody in OA. And my story is characterized by countless, literally countless relapse. So while I have gotten enormous things out of this program, um, there are other people who do it differently than I do and more effectively than I do. I was, I think, a skinny child until I was about nine. My father worked in a drugstore and they were putting in a candy thing and they wanted to advertise it in the local newspaper and they wanted a little girl dressed in a white skirt to, eat, to be shown taking a bite out of this two pound key of milk chocolate. And I remember my mother being furious that she had to, um, the only dress, the only skirt that fit around my tummy was too long for me and it was pleated. And she had to pleat this skirt and complained about the pleats because she had to shorten it. She had to hem it. Um, that was the first time I knew I wasn't right. I was put on my first diet. When I was nine or 10, I was weighed every day. It was the old drinking men's diet, which is 60 grams of carb a day. And you know, you could eat anything else. I was too young to do the drinking part. Um, And then things really got bad when I was 14. When I was 13, my mother had put me on the old Weight Watcher diet, we didn't go to the Weight Watcher meetings, I I can still remember what that meal plan was. And the thing that stood out was the concept of free vegetables. And I say that I really learned how to binge on free vegetables following the Weight Watcher thing that if anything came up, as long as you lost weight, it didn't matter if you were stuffing your face 24 seven. But I did lose weight, I went into the ninth grade weighing 105 pounds. I was about 5'4". I was still growing. And at that time, I was supposed to weigh myself every day. And if my weight went up to 107, I was supposed to um, immediately, you know, basically quit eating or go back to the old Weight Watcher plan until my weight got down below 105 again, and then I could go. And I still remember the day shopping with friends in San Leandro at the Macy's, and I weighed 107 and I couldn't do it. And I had ice cream when everybody else had ice cream. And that started a binge that lasted for 10 weeks. I gained five pounds a week for 10 weeks and spent the next few years completely loathing, detesting and hating myself. I was, you know, in my book, I was fat and ugly and horrible and worthless and didn't deserve to be alive. And I actually contemplated suicide And I had a plan. The only thing was that even at 14, I had read enough to know that suicide was a very hostile act. And I didn't hate anybody. I just didn't want to live anymore. And I thought that in order to, you know, not be hostile, I would have to think about the people that would be hurt if I killed myself. And I would probably have to kill them too. And I was fortunate in that when I started counting up the people, the logistics of murder-suicide for more than five people was unworkable, and I thought I was going to have to live, and I was miserable, and I tried all sorts of um, diets, but after I was 16 or so, I pretty much knew that the only way I was ever going to lose weight was a sensible eating plan, and I didn't always have one, but I quit the fasting, the this diet, the that diet, the other diet. Um, I, I was young, I'd skipped a couple of grades. I went to college when I was 16. And when I was um, a sophomore, I, I'd had a high school teacher, Spanish teacher that had done her junior year in Spain. And I wanted to do that. And in order to be accepted to this education abroad program, you had to pass an interview. And I knew that I could pass the interview if I felt good about myself. And I knew that if I lost weight, I could feel good about myself. And so I put myself back on that old Weight Watcher diet and I lost about 30 pounds. I weighed 136. I went and I had the interview. I got accepted. And the day I got the acceptance letter, I started eating and I gained 30 pounds in six weeks. So five pounds a week again, that was the last time I ever gained weight like that. But that was, you know, I am a compulsive eater, and there is just no room for anything else. At that time, I had to make a choice. And I, I knew that, you know, I I thought the first mistake was to gain the weight. And the second mistake would be to let it rule my life. And so instead of deciding not to go, I went anyway, I had a very good time, but every day I sort of literally and figuratively had to gird my loins to go out and face the world and be this fat person in the world. And I I think sometimes we don't talk enough about the consequences of being fat. My thighs rubbed together. So if I wore a skirt, I had a rash between my legs. I went through jeans or pants at an incredible rate because the seams rubbed all the time. So I never had clothes that lasted very long. I was bursting out of my top. So the bras all had those little wedgies in them and they didn't seem to ever come in my size. So I- Five minutes. Thank you. It was just awful. Um, Fast forward, I went to nursing school. When I was 25, as part of a program on addiction, I had to um, go to an open AA meeting. And I walked out of that meeting without a doubt in my mind and said, that's me, but I do it for food. But it took another 15 years before I heard of OA. And I, at that time, um, and I had gone up and down and up and down and up and down with my weight, Um, never over, like up to 205 and back down. I told my sister about I heard about OA and I told my sister about it because it was free. You only paid what you could afford. And she too had a weight problem and she needed something that didn't cost money. And I was still doing the weigh-in pay. And um, so I moved to Hong Kong for a year and a half with my family. My husband was working there and Janet went to OA and she came to visit us there. And she had checked with world service and she 12 stepped me into OA in Hong Kong. So I think it was 4 million people, maybe 6 million people on the Island. There were three meetings. I was so mad because we went to the church. They're always in churches. And we walked around looking for the door and this uh, minister walked up. And by this time, Janet was a normal weight and said to me, Oh, are you looking for overeaters anonymous? And I wanted to just scratch his eyes out because how dare he know that I, um, that I needed it. We went in there. The secretary was the only person there. It was a tiny little meeting. She told her story. And I was given the gift of abstinence. At that time, the food plan recommended was three meals a day with not even life in between. It was fruit in between. And the greatest blessing was that got me all over Southeast Asia with small children, enjoying fully all the experiences living in Asia and being at a normal weight. And there were two meetings a week and I would take a bus, a long bus ride to get to each one and go back. And it took about eight or nine months before I even had a sponsor, because this one woman was the only one qualified to sponsor it. A lot of people visit Hong Kong, but they don't stay very long. So it was in and out. And then it was time to, move, but I got down to about 155, which is funny, the weight that was so horrible when I was 14 was a very comfortable adult weight for me. And I came back to the States and it was these meetings with 50 people and they were big book thumpers and they read from the Bible and they read the Lord's prayer at the meeting. And they did these things that were just did not work for me. And so I quit. And I gained over the year, and for me, slowly, fifty pounds in a year, a pound a week. That was a nice slow weight gain. And then I crept back with my tails between my leg and I got another sponsor. And she said, "Oh, you can't just eat whatever you want three meals a day. You have to cut out sugar." So I cut out sugar. I did that. I did that. I went to How one time, and and the one thing I want to say about that, I have had periods in my life where various food plans have worked for me and where they haven't. And I just wanna say that people's needs with regard to food can change over time and that it varies by person. And so there was a time when the weighing and measuring structure was a comfort to me. My life was chaotic and it gave me a support structure that really worked until it didn't work. And then I just couldn't stand it. And there were other times when I need the openness. My current sponsor says, Eleanor, what you eat is between you and your higher power, full stop. So there's no more of this confessing, oh, I lost my abstinence or, oh, I ate too much. You know. And there are days when I eat more than I want to and more than I should. Um, and that's that. What I do now, Um, so, and most recently, my most recent return was in 2019, we went to a family function and I was clearly the fattest person there. And I also was contemplating retirement in July of 2021. And I didn't want to just fall into the food. So I quit the one how meeting I was going to at that time and said, you know, I can't keep doing the same thing over and over and going to these Sunday morning meetings and then going to the binge at the bakery right after. And I got, I went to a dietician and I went to a counselor who immediately said, I want you to go to OA. And I said, I've done it for 20 years. How is this going to be different? And she said, just try it. You've never tried it with a counselor. And um, so that has been an interesting process. I have foods that I avoid most of the time, but not all of the time. I don't have any really black and white things. I lost. Five minutes. Thank you. About fifty pounds, and um, have kept it off. My weight has been basically stable for the last three years. I go to pretty much five or six meetings a week, and so I'm grateful for Zoom, and um, I I feel grateful for recovery right now. And I focus when I talk to people on finding out how people use the steps to work their everyday life. Um, this spiritual part. I was raised in a very liberal religious tradition. The congregation was tiny. We used to joke that if the minister used the G word, the congregation would have walked. And while my parents were, I think a lot more spiritual than I gave them credit for, and certainly a lot more knowledgeable, we were very much a family where the message was, you know, religion is the opiate of the masses. Only they would leave the M off. And um, so the whole God thing was hard for me. I tried in Hong Kong to look at it. We were doing a lot of swimming in the South China sea and it's warm. And I thought, well, you know, this floating is interesting to me because when you're in salt water and you're relaxed, it's really hard to sink. Maybe that's what people mean when they say align yourself with God's will. And, you know, the ocean is a bounty and it's a source of food and it's wonderful. And if you turn your back on it, you can drown in a heartbeat. So, um, but I could never get to the place where I thought of any sort of intelligent being. I had some, to me, deeply spiritual experiences prior to OA. Um, one of them when my father was dying and I had just been diagnosed with cancer and my kids were little and I was waking up a lot at night and I only dreamt about having cancer Two times and both times I woke up feeling cherished and safe and that no matter how things turned out, it was going to be all right. And I thought, well, maybe this is what people mean when they talk about God is love, you know, how cool that I get this in my subconscious and other people have to work for it. But even that my, my sense is. There are things I cannot control and things that are kind and wonderful, but. It's like saying the sun is good because it shines. You know, it's the sun's nature to shine. It's not shining on the world because it thinks the world should have sunlight or anything. Um, I struggled. I did a lot of the trying to find words that made sense. I read a lot. I um, I liked Tillich's book about when bad things happen to good people because he this is a rabbi who had some, family crises and he talks about he couldn't believe in an all-powerful and an all-good deity and I thought well I can't either but maybe there's a chance I can find something. We live near I live near Berkeley the Graduate Theologic Union has um, Jesuits people that are training to be Jesuits and they do spiritual direction for free in the summer semester and um, you know can a good Unitarian girl find advice from a jesuit it was interesting because they asked a lot about what i believed and it helped me clarify um so now when i work a program when i hear the word god or i try the word god i don't cringe i used to think oh god god he god she God, whatever i don't think it makes one bit of difference and so hearing these pronouns don't bother doesn't bother me anymore i For me, when I use the word God, I use it to describe all of the good things that happen in my life over which I have no control. And I very much include the ability to be abstinent because like I bet most of you, I could probably write the book on how to eat properly, how to avoid binge foods, how to blada. And sometimes I can do those things and sometimes there is no way That I can and so I celebrate the ability to do what I want what I believe is right or the good things that happen to me as something beyond my control and so if if one wants to talk about spirituality I find it most deeply in gratitudes and um And I say, thank you, or, but these days, you know, this is how I like, you say, thank you, God. Is that too much like anthropomorphizing? Is it thanking a thing? Or do I say I am grateful for, and is that too much me centric and does it matter? And I think it doesn't matter. I appreciate the good things. And part of my practice and part of my program is to acknowledge the things that are good in my life, that when it could go either way, and I am comforted by being small in the world. I am comforted by believing that my prayers are not gonna be answered in a specific way. If I thought that my wishing or wanting something really made it happen or could influence the outcomes for other people, I think I would kill myself because it would be too much of a burden to bear, you know? If, like, please give me this or please give me that or let this be good you know, who knows what the world is supposed to bring, but I, I like doing gratitudes. So, so now it's so hard. Cause I want to go on forever. And I feel I, I, I feel funny wanting to out myself as a deist of some sort. I want the comfort of God or a God figure, but I don't really believe there is such a thing in a personal way. So instead I'm comforted by the vastness, by the unknowingness, by the fact that there are good things in the world. And if they can happen in the world, they, they may as well happen for me too, you know? Um, And I feel in some existential sense, loved and cherished not because of anything I do, but because there, for me, I believe there is something in the world, in the universe, in the spirit or whatever, that is a source of love and comfort. And it helps me live my life if I can celebrate that and feel that. And then the other thing is it also gives me a language to talk to um, people with different beliefs. And that's important to me. My, um, we used to joke in my family that the greatest test of my parents' liberal religion was when my sister became a born-again Christian and that it would have been one thing if she'd been Buddhist or Hindu or anything else, but to become a fundamentalist born-again Christian is a big test <laughs> of a liberal philosophy. And when I say, Janet, I just feel so lucky or things are so good or I'm so grateful. And she says, you're blessed. I don't need to argue that anymore. You know, I, 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 I just don't think it's a battle. I don't think, I, I'm a nurse, I've seen an awful lot in the world. I don't think bad things are um, personal. You know, I think there are some of us, some people in the world whose lives are constant clusters and I think, gosh, you know, they're working so hard and everything they're doing is getting in their own way. But I think it is the ability to get out of our own way that is what I consider the gift. Um, so- two, two more minutes. Okay, so, so what does my program look like? I have a food plan. I have foods I avoid um, under most circumstances and it's very flexible right now because I'm biking hours a day getting ready for this ride around Tahoe. And it's you know it varies. I have a sponsor that I communicate with um two or three times a week and she is excellent at showing me how to use the steps to be helpful and you know steps two and three one of the things i loved was the way you take step three is you start step four and that was very helpful to me when i did not have a strong sense of a god i um do a tenth step not quite every night but i do it and i do it when i need it and i have about five different options for tenth steps. And I have found them useful doing them different ways. When I take sponsees through the steps, I don't believe that our fourth step should take months. I look at how the old AAs did it. You know, the idea is you clean up the big stuff and then you get on, I believe, living your life and doing the best you can to keep it clean as you go along or fix up what gets in the way. As I said, I don't confess, oh my God, I ate. I don't think of bad foods or good foods. There are foods that work for me at certain times and some that don't. And, um, and I also say I eat because I eat. Happy, sad, whatever, that would be me. And sometimes something triggers it and sometimes who knows. And I think I've babbled enough and um, I really did try to prepare, but it kind of goes off in all directions. That, that's really all.